Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. It's lovely to be back and see all your faces again, touch elbows and all of that. Um, it is really, really good uh, to be together. 24 weeks is a long time and um, I have been wandering around our house from about five this morning. Um, I'm not going to tell you many loose stops I've made, but uh, it's um, kind of nerve-wracking to be back in a way, in a good way. I'm not nervous about the um, gathering together in any shape or form as regards safety. And we've done all the measures we can around that. Just nervous to be back together again in, in a good way, in a good way. And um, thank you all for your help and support during lockdown. While we weren't gathering on, our, on Sundays, our church never was busier. Um, all our staff worked harder than they've ever worked. Um, we had to work out of imagination, not out of memory. So that took a, a little bit of effort. Um, during the, the, the COVID lockdown, um, we actually supplied food to over 300 people locally here in the town, uh, delivering over 300 or in around 300 food boxes for the government as well every week. The actual whole food bank in the Craig Evan area during the COVID period fed 900 people um, in the Craig Evan area. And Renew is now upstairs and during the lockdown closed 58 adults and 148 children. Um, just, just during the COVID period, year to date is 85 adults and 221 children. So church is busy, it's a busy place. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for allowing us to continue to do that by your giving, by your support, by your prayers. Um, it was an honor to be able to serve. This morning, I want the, um, Dave and I have been chatting a little bit around the, um, Chris's reword for some of you, um, and maybe that don't know that in the prayer meetings a few weeks ago. Chris gave a word around return, all the rewords, restore, recalibrate. Um, Dave and I have been talking about those words here for Lurgan, and that's what we're going to do during the month of, um, September. And uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about being reunited today because that's what we've done. We've reunited and we've come back together. And I want to talk to you a little bit and, and give a clear call um, on why we're reunited and why we need to be reunited. So we're going to read from Nehemiah 4. Um, didn't intend to continue on in Nehemiah, but just it, it really uh, felt the Holy Spirit really speak to me about this. So um, uh, it'll be on the screen from the NIV version, Nehemiah 4. Um, we're looking at verses 15 to 23. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that the God had frustrated it, we all returned, there's a, a reword, returned to the wall each to her own work. It seems a lull between verse 14 and 15. It seems that there was a little bit of a, a lull happened. We'll talk about that in a moment. And now here they are, even by this little statement, telling us that they're returning to the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at the side as he worked. Um, 
It says, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. All right, I've got a trumpet this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to play it. It's a toy one, but I'm going to talk to you about that in a moment. All right. And he said, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. I love that little phrase, our God will fight for us. So he continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards went with me, took off our clothes, each had his weapon even when he went for water. Father, I pray that you'll um, speak to us through your word this morning. Thank you for it. Thank you how you minister to us by it. And we pray that you do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, don't worry, I'm not going to play it. I couldn't I can play a CD player, that's about it. But um, I talked to you a little bit a couple of years ago about trumpets and, and about the clarity of the trumpet call. They were invented, I don't know why you know this or not, but they were invented in 3000 BC. They've been about a long time. I'm sure you didn't know this either, but they, they were actually, they, they used, it used to be an Olympic sport actually based on volume and there was a guy called Achaeus who actually won it three years in a row. Google's a wonderful thing. Um, the Romans actually were the first to use a trumpet for military purposes. They used it for military purposes. They had 43 different signals all right, and that the army commanders could use. So there no walkie-talkies, obviously, back then. Um, uh, so the bugle had uh, declared, wake up, tense down, prepare to move on, retreat, advance, charge, all kinds of signals. So many signals had they that they actually had a trumpet training school, the Roman army. They had a, a trumpet training school to train the people um, of the blast. And of course, you'll know some old hymns, won't you, that has trumpets in it, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldier of the cross. Remember that one? Yeah, all the people my age are nodding. Um, stand up, stand up for Jesus. The second verse is the trumpet call, obey. So um, forth to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day. And of course, you've got that wonderful one out of First Thessalonians, straight out of First Thessalonians four sixteen. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saved of ours shall gather. Don't want to sing it, no. Over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I was singing it at um, the tea table last night, and I got told uh, by a couple of people in my home to keep quiet. So, um, <clears throat> so do you know what the New Testament actually declares uh, the unpardonable sin of the military trumpet player? I'll, I'll show you. Here it is in... Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8, all right? If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? The, NI, or the ESV puts it, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Imagine an indistinct sound. Imagine an army waiting to attack, and they hear a blast that they don't recognize, and uh, it's a confused signal, and they don't know whether to run, whether to charge, whether to go for lunch, whether to take their tents down. And so here's the thing. The people in our communities and the people that we serve 
deserve a clear call. They deserve clarity. And so as we come back reunited as a family this morning, I want to give you clarity as to what I believe and what we believe as elders that we are called to do. During World War II, when Britain was being bombed night after night, and people were wondering what to do. Do we wave the white flag of surrender, or do we keep going? Winston Churchill made this declaration, We will defend our island. We, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We will fight in the beaches. We will fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Now, some people mightn't have expected him to say that. Some people, I'm sure, didn't agree with what he said. But one thing was clear. They were not going to surrender. He made that very clear. He, he, he blasted a clear trumpet call. When Dr. Martin Luther King was organizing the civil rights marches in the 60s, trying to get the African Americans the right to vote, a group of influential leaders came to see him to calm him down a little bit. They're saying, Dr. King, take a chill pill. Some, if you just give it time, whites will begin to accept blacks okay. He was in a jail cell, actually, when this group of leaders came to him in Birmingham, Alabama. And when he received this just wait word, this is what he said. I've cut it down a little bit. It's very, very long, but I've cut it down just a short little bit. He says, for years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every black person with piercing familiarity. This wait word has almost always meant never. We've waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed towards gaining political independence, but we still creep at horse and buggy pace towards gaining a cup of coffee at a counter. Perhaps it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But he says... Look, cut a good bit out of the middle and he ends with this. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. He made it really clear. There was no more waiting. All right, it was a significant turning point too in the civil rights movement. So what I want to do this morning, I want to give us a clear trumpet call in Emmanuel Lurgan this morning to, as we reunite, reunite together to say something with clarity. We've been given a message, a, a mandate from Jesus himself that can change the world, that can rewrite the story of our city, and that's what we're going to do. He said, take this message and proclaim my love to all mankind. It's the greatest message ever told. Now in Nehemiah 4, last week we sort of finished it off at verse 14 and we made these um, three little statements here from verse 14 that our faith is worth fighting for, our families are worth fighting for, and our future is worth fighting for as a church. And as I say, there's been some type of a, a lull, some temporary respite between 14 and 15, and now the enemies have got wind of the preparations that have been made in the city. The enemy hasn't liked the fact that they've got back together. The enemy's not happy that people are returning to church. 
The enemy is not happy about this. So, so Nehemiah, he, maybe he just made sure that the enemy saw they were being prepared. I don't know. Maybe he made sure the enemy heard his speech and, and got sight of the arms and the swords and the spears and so on. Because now the work begins again. And Nehemiah does five things that I think as a church we need to recognize this morning as we come back together and clench our fists for the fight. Now the first one, is this word opposition and we spent a good wee bit of time on that last Sunday so I don't want to do it again but there's always opposition that is a, a given all right when you work for God Nehemiah had been given a task to do and for us it's no different there will be opposition there will always be hostility there will always be a derogatory remark against the things that we believe and like Nehemiah and like the builders of the wall we must stand um, against, against the culture that is out there and stand and fight for what we believe so that's all I want to say about opposition because I did hit a, a good bit on that last week I want to talk to you a little bit about Judy when you read this particular chapter the word duty comes to mind it's a sense of yes it's a sense of obligation that that Nehemiah instills upon the men and the women and you look at him after this lull here here it goes we we looked at this verse a moment ago it says when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it we all returned to the wall each to our own work now they're old-fashioned words, aren't they? The words duty and honor and loyalty and integrity and stickability. They're old-fashioned words, but they're powerful. Actually, when you say them, you actually feel better. When you say them and they do something inside you, they, they rise a, a, a charge inside you. They rise something because we are soldiers in the Lord's army. We have things to do. There is an obligation upon us. There are things that we are obliged to do and there is a work that we must do. There's a duty. We have a duty to our town. We have a duty to our, our, our church. We don't want to be the best church in the town we want to be the best church for the town we don't want to be the biggest church in the town we want to be the biggest and most impressive church for the town to see a change to see people won for jesus to see the lost one to see people fed to see people clothed that's what our heart is it's not about being bigger and better it's not about show, it's about what we have a duty to do. And all of us are called to this because it, it, it tells us this in this great verse. I love this verse in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is why he created us to do good works that God actually prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared the very stuff that he needs us to do. It's the difference, isn't it, between justification and sanctification. I've been talking about this in my Romans devotional in justification. We say we are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. We're not obligated to do anything in order to get saved other than receive that message of salvation. But when it comes to sanctification, it's different. Now we're saved individuals. We're members of the army. And those who are in union with Christ now as those who have been adopted into the household and family of God, we are obligated to serve our master. 
We have an obligation to serve him with all our hearts, to serve him without quarreling, to serve him without innuendo, to serve him without negotiation, to do the work that God has given us to do as a church. Yes, it will involve struggle. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, there will be ups and downs. Of course there will. But you get that sense in Nehemiah that he's urging them to duty, urging them to obedience, urging them to the task that God has laid down. Now the third thing that you'll find, there was opposition with a sense of duty, but I, I love this guy's organizing skills. He, you get this sense from Nehemiah that he just was a great leader. And one of the hallmarks, one of the qualities that makes him a great leader is his ability to organize. He delegates and he motivates and he makes sure that the wall gets built. At my count through the chapters, I reckon there was about 40 to 42 different stations that he had people working on, right? And, and, and he organizes the building in such a way that they're all building adjacent to their own homes. Imagine that. That's pretty smart as a leader. Like if you're going to build a wall to protect the, the city and you're building it right outside your front door and you know that this is going to actually protect your family, you're going to build that well. You're not going to shortchange the, the cement and the mortar there. So you're not, you're going to build it well. And then it's a phenomenal thing to do to motivate to build that part of the, the wall really, really strong. This wall was probably in around a mile long. It was five to six feet thick at the top and probably nine to ten feet thick at the bottom and, and in around eighteen to twenty foot high. And he accomplished this in seven weeks. That is pretty good. All, all through organization. When there was a threat of war, Nehemiah organizes the people, half of them building, half of them standing guard, and they work day and night. They work by day, they guard by night. It's organization and planning. Fourth thing, just five of them to go. So fourth thing is his preparation. His skill was to plan for realistic events. All right, The possibility that things were about to happen. Some people have asked us, are we not going a bit OTT with masks and stuff like that? We need to prepare. Our enemy will come against us. We know that. So we need to do things right. And we need to do things with integrity. And so here we see this, that, that he had lookouts placed that were prepared for battle. I love verse 23, right at the end, he says that none of them actually even took their clothes off. They, even when they went for water, they just kept their weapon. They were ready to fight. They were prepared by day. They were prepared by night. And he had this trumpeter who, who stood beside him the whole time. And ever, whenever there was a threat of invasion, whenever there was a, 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 a chance to reunite, the trumpet blast was blown and there was a clear message of coming together. There was a clear message of being reunited as a people. And whenever they would hear that sound, they would run to defend that part of the city. It's not just organization, it's preparation. And then what he did, his last thing that he did, all of these things, he just bathed them with his faith. I love the belief of this man. The preparation goes hand in hand with faith. I, 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 verse 20 just blows me away. Our God will fight for us. I had to do it big and bold. Our God will fight for us. It's a statement of trust in the sovereignty of God. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah was convinced that God would fight for him. He was convinced that the work in which he was involved was of God. He had prayed about it. He had heard God. He 
knew there would be opposition, but he had a sense of duty. He organized, he prepared, and he trusted God. God had opened providence in such a way as to confirm that it was indeed his will. And despite all the opposition, despite all the difficulty and all the hostility, it was still God's will. It wasn't just God's will. Hear me in this. It's not just God's will when things are going well. You've got to remember it's still God's will when things are going bad. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah knew this. It didn't mean Nehemiah didn't have a plan. It didn't mean he didn't have to organize or he didn't have to have a strategy. But he could believe in the sovereignty of God and still have a sword in his hand. He knew that God would fight for him even though he knew he still would have to fight for himself. And there's something about this. This is an amazing example of Christian life. This is what Paul, I believe, meant when he said this um, in in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We don't tell people that enough. You need to work this out for you. You need to work it out for you. You have a responsibility for your own salvation. You have a responsibility to walk in the ways of God. You have a responsibility to serve God. You have a responsibility to read your Bible and to pray, to come to church and to surround yourself with good fellowship. It's your responsibility. You can't blame that on anyone because Paul goes on in the next little part of the the verse in verse 13 and he says, For it is God who works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. I love that. So you work out your salvation and and God works in you to help you work it out. It's, It's incredible. It's like James says, as we move towards God, then he actually moves towards us. That's the way this thing works. It's amazing. Trust God and keep your powder dry. was what Cromwell said during the Irish Wars in the 17th century. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing here. He made all the preparations. He made all the plans. He prepared all the people. He prepared himself for the worst eventuality. He's realistic about the nature of what it means to be a believer in the 5th century BC. We've got to be realistic of what it means to be a believer here in 2020. It's been a weird year. You don't need me to tell you that. But we need to battle up. We need a trumpet call. We need to come together like never before. We need to understand our sense of duty and our sense of call and understand that our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Trust God and keep your powder dry. It's a matter of trust at the end. You can make all the preparations in the world, but if you don't have trust, it's all just going to fall and fail so my question to you this morning where are you in the Lord's army in the warfare in the battle in the life that you're now living at this moment in time where are you in the middle of a battle in the middle of a storm Um, do you sense hostility opposition difficulty you've made some plans you have a strategy you think it all looks good you've asked the counsel of good friends you've maybe even prayed but my big question is this Are you trusting in God? Are you trusting in God? Do you know that your God, our God, will fight for you? He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. I love that old hymn. I'm in the old hymns today. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. 
we rest in thee, and in thy name we go. It was written by Edith Cherry in uh, just, just short of the 1900, about 1870 or 1895. Her story is amazing. She was, um, at the age of, uh, at the age of 16 months, she contracted polio and ended up in crutches all of her life. Her younger sister died when she was 12, who she was really close to. And at 12, just after her sister died, she, she suffered a stroke. And, um, and they reckon that she wrote most of her poetry between the age of 12 and 15. Incredible. In 1895, when she was 23, she wrote, We Rest on Thee. And she wrote it based on this verse in uh, 2 Chronicles 14. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest in Thee, and in Thy name we go against the multitude. And that's where she wrote that hymn from. Two years later, when she was 25, she took another stroke, and she said to her mom, Mom, I think I'm going home. And I'm glad, because she said, I've been hungry to go for a while. And her mom says, Edith, there's loads for you to write. There's still loads for you to write. And she said, Mom, it was never mine to write. God give me it, and I just put it on the paper. And the last thing she said to her mom at the age of 25, Mom, don't worry, I'm trusting in God. He will undertake for me and whom she wants. So I'm making a a blast of clarity this morning as we reunite. I'm telling you that um, we have a city and a town that needs Jesus more than any any time in our lives. And yes, we will have opposition, but we have a duty to our God, so we need to get at it. We're going to do some more organization, and we've been working right throughout that, preparing for battle, getting the the battle um, warriors onto the walls, the watchmen and the watchwomen onto the walls of the city, um, so that our faith may rise to a whole new level and we can be reunited as a people like never before. That's our cry. That's our call. That's the clarity of this new season. And I'm excited for it. I'm excited because I believe in God. And I believe that as we trust God and keep our powder dry, our God will fight for us. Let's pray. If you're watching online this morning, thank you for watching. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we've done this every week. And you'd like to, and we would love to help you in that. Um, The Bible says that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and live. And if you would like someone to pray for you, then contact us. We would love to do that. We would love. We can't save you, but we can certainly point you to a Savior who is willing and just to forgive all who call. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, Father, I pray that you would seal your word to our hearts this morning as we move into this new season, as we get back together, reunited, different as it may be. Father, there's still a town and a city to win. There are still lost and broken people who need to hear the greatest story ever told. So God, we look to you and know this morning that our God will fight for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, 
please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.